Good morning again, everyone. It is an honor to be here with you today and uh, to worship with you. And we're going to be talking about our wonderful and uncomfortable calling. And I think we all like the wonderful part, but we may not love the uncomfortable part. And I'm excited to dive into that with you. Uh, First off, I just want to introduce myself for those of you who don't know me. My name is Ben, Pastor Ben Griffin. A uh, friend of Pastor Todd's, uh, I run a nonprofit in town uh, called Link, and uh, we, we just thank you from Link for your partnership with us. Many of you individually and as a church uh, have uh, connected with us in many ways, and if you don't know what we do, essentially we raise up leaders so that our city will know Jesus. And one of the things we celebrated recently is that a church plant that uh, we helped start, raising up that leader, uh, just recently saw a new believer out of the Somali community, and that is a massively huge deal, uh, if you know anything about that background. So just praise God for that, honored to be here with you, and before we dive into this, I want to pray one more time. Uh, Jesus, as we open your word, as we talk about who, we, who you are and who we are in light of that, Lord, I just ask that you would bring clarity, bring truth, bring the authority of your word to bear on our hearts and minds. I pray this, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Amen. So, our wonderful and uncomfortable calling. And I just want to lay this out right at the beginning here. And um, I'm going to ask you to engage with me a little bit. But if you would call yourself a Jesus follower... Like, you don't, not everybody in here may, but if you could just give me a nod or like a little, you know, you can raise your hand. They're probably on a high hand raising church, but just a little, yeah, okay, yeah. You call yourself a Jesus follower, right. And if you are a Jesus follower, then by the very nature of being a Jesus follower, you should be on a mission for the things of Jesus. Now, we don't always think that way, but we should be. And, and I wanna, I've noticed something in the church today that I, I want to point out, and it seems like we do a lot of Jesus things, but I'm not always sure it's because we're Jesus followers. Let me say it this way. Sometimes we do serving things, but is it, it, but it do we serving because we're followers of Jesus? That's just what we do? Or is it just because, well, those are the things that we're supposed to do? Uh, and maybe if I'm confusing you, I'll lay it out one other way. How many of you in here are wild fans, like wild hockey? Anyone? No, I know. We're on the Wisconsin side. So I grew up in Wisconsin, and like hockey was foreign to me in Milwaukee. It was kind of funny. So I went to a wild hockey game a couple weeks ago, and I went with somebody who was a super fan. Now, I'm not a super fan. I told you I grew up with very little hockey. So I really, I, half the time, I don't even know what's happening out there. You know everything. I know almost nothing. So I'm going to the game with my friend. I go to his house ahead of time, and he's like, you're wearing that? I'm like, Yes, like my wife approved, why don't you, right? So, so he's like, well, you know, we're, we're going to a hockey game. He's like, you could wear a hockey jersey. I've got 10 extras. So he pulls them out. They're all signed. So I end up wearing an 11 Parisi jersey, actually the same number as my friend. I even said Parisi right, correct, all right? And so I'm at the game. We have amazing seats, and we're like 20 rows up from the ice. And I don't know fully what's going on, but when everybody cheers, I cheer, right? When... When everybody stands up, I stand up. When everybody gets nachos, I definitely get nachos. 
But from the outside, if you saw me at the game, I'd be wearing the jersey, the thing signed. I'm jumping up at the right time. I'm clapping at the right time. I'm eating nachos like a true wild fan. You would assume that I am a super fan. But truthfully, I just got all the stuff on the outside that looks like a fan. But on the inside, I mean, I like them, but I'm just doing what I just see everybody else doing. So let me back up and say again, we as Jesus followers sometimes can just do what everybody else is just doing, us, doing around us, but are we because of the very nature, like I follow Jesus, so these are the things I do, it just, it just comes out naturally, like the deeper we go in our relationship with the Lord, the more naturally these things happen. It, are we just going through the motions, or is it an outpouring of Jesus' presence in our lives? Does that make sense? And how many of you are hungry for nachos? <laughs> I know that I am after saying that. Yes, and so what I'm going to do is walk through a couple passages and talk about our wonderful and uncomfortable calling. And the first place I want to go, and we'll come back to this again, is Colossians, that's 3.17. says, whatever you do or say, would you read this next part with me? Do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. So do it as a representative of Jesus. Now, the Bible doesn't give us a lot of outs. It's not like sometimes what you do or say, or when you show up at Sunday, what you do or say. It says, whatever you do and whatever you say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus. Meaning, if we're Jesus followers, everywhere we go, we should be reflecting who he is. Now, that's wonderful, but part of calling is also uncomfortable. And I've noticed something about American culture, maybe you have too, but we don't like to be uncomfortable. Like we kind of do everything possible to be comfortable. And we're kind of the same way in church world. Like we serve until it's uncomfortable for us to serve and then we, you know, that, that doesn't really work or, you know, it kind of took too, I, I, like we love to serve when it works for us. But how many of us get to the point where we serve uncomfortably, that we sacrifice to an uncomfortable level. And, and it's an interesting thing because I'd say in our culture that avoids discomfort, it actually has led to a serious discontentment. I know those are a lot of words, but what I'm saying is it seems that we should, as comfortable people, we should be happier. Do you think that people in the United States are happier in their comfort? Uh, I, I would say this. We live in the most comfortable and indulgent time in human history Yet, can we genuinely say that people are more content and happy? I think the answer is no. Seems like there's more anxiety, more struggle, less discontent, or less contentment. And, and this is what I would contend around that, is that experiencing challenge, not comfort, is actually what leads to contentment. When we chase comfort, it actually doesn't lead to contentment. But oddly enough, when we go through challenge, it almost always grows. Let, let me give an example here. Um, if I were to, <laughs> this probably isn't where you thought I was going to go, but if I were to drag one of you outside this morning in the rain, dump even colder water on you, then punch you in the kidneys a little and stomp on your feet, you'd probably be saying to me, this is not very pastoral of you, right? Not a very pastoral move. But if you were to experience those exact same things, feet aching, side hurting, freezing cold, and it was because you just summited Mount Everest, 
wouldn't you be like celebrating the pain because of the accomplishment of overwhelming that challenge, right? See, in, in our societies, we always go towards the, the comfort. We're actually missing something about what God made us to do, which is to be stretched and challenged. And in the challenge, we actually find contentment. Do you hear what I'm saying? Because in church world, we tend to serve to the point of our discomfort. And I want to push us past it. And I believe, look at Hebrews now, chapter 12. I believe that's what we see in the word. So Hebrews 12 says this. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let's strip off every weight that slows us down, especially sin that so easily trips us up. Basically, we get this image of like, uh, picture the Olympics, like in a stadium, there is a there is a specific goal and calling in front of us, like something that we are called to do. Now strip off anything else that gets in the way of that, especially sin. And if I could just point out here a little little side point, um, we tend to get really comfortable with sin, and we shouldn't be. We shouldn't be. Um, sin, it, it, there's, there's a whole other sermon I could give on that, but let me just uh, simply say this. If someone has cancer, what do we say about that cancer? We're going to fight cancer, right? If we recognize that sin is essentially a spiritual cancer, should we be content with it? Like, who gets cancer and is like, well, yeah, yeah, no big deal. Maybe in a year or two we'll take a closer look at that. But I'm kind of, I kind of like it. Like, nobody says that. Like, no, we're going to fight it. We're going to do everything we can. Like, this, this is not something we tolerate. Sin has become that. Like, he says, listen, we have a mission, a calling from God. If you are a Jesus follower, you are on Jesus' mission. And you, if, you're, if so being, then everything else should be stripped away, especially sin. Let's fight it. Let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. This isn't the passage that we hear in our new member class usually, right? Hey, welcome to our church. We're going to challenge you and stretch you. Prepare for a long endurance race. Is that, is that what we hear? No, we hear welcome to church. Here's how we're going to keep your kids safe. Here's how we're going to make you comfortable. And here's how we're going to give you messages that encourage you in your daily life. We rarely say challenge and stretch you to uncomfortable places right? We're the same way with our kids. Like as we're sending our kids off to school, like we bundle them up and we send them to the bus and, and most moms are not saying, now go do something that stretches you to the limit today, honey, right? Most of them are saying, stay away from strangers, eat your lunch, be good, like be comfortable, be okay, but not be stretched. And here we have an endurance race and we do this. How do we do this? By keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith, because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross disregarding its shame. We do this in the same way that Jesus did this. We even face the hardest hard because we know at the end of the road, Jesus' victory and joy is to be had. We know where this goes. And so I, I want to show you this little matrix, and I, hopefully I don't lose you on this, but it, it's helpful for me. Maybe it'll be helpful for you. Uh, this is taken from uh, 3DM, a, a discipleship group, but I've kind of changed it a little bit. But here's how this matrix works. Um, 
There's a grace line and a truth line. And some call it invitation and challenge, if you've heard this before. And so this is high grace, low grace, high truth, low truth. And so I want to relate this in two ways. One, to what a home situation looks like, and then what a church situation looks like. So if you're in a high truth, like speak the truth, we're going to just say it, say it as it is, and a low grace, so not necessarily a lot of kindness or forgiveness uh, uh, or, or edge there, then that is what we call a stressful environment. Uh, where in a household, if it's, if it's high truth, it's a lot of rules. Maybe some of you grew up in households like this. There are a lot of rules to follow, but there, are, there is really no grace. You can never do enough. There's always more you have to do. That's a really stressful environment, and a kid in that environment is likely going, can I do anything right? Like, like maybe you have really obedient, a lot of obedience, but not necessarily grab the heart. In churches, this shows up where we go, this is how we do the church thing. This is when we stand. This is when we sit. This is what it looks like. And when we do that without any grace, it's a stressful place. Okay, so over here is what we call low truth, low grace. And uh, we'll just call this boring. It's like, do you, like in a household, it's like, so you have no rules and you don't really care what's going on. Like, like it's, it's even uh, very relationally distant. Then up here we have low truth, high grace. Uh, This is uh, like, hey, do whatever you want. Like, I'm not going to be the one to tell you what to need to do. I just like, I just, I love you. You can do whatever you want. Like that environment in a child's world, indulgent. And the question is, are you really okay with me doing whatever I want? It actually doesn't feel safe to a child. And in church world, this is what we call comfortable church, where we don't challenge, but we just want to make sure everybody's happy and comfortable. And I would contend that most of the American church is kind of hanging out right here. Would you agree? Call it, we call it the comfy, cozy corner. And then this, this is the empowered corner. I'm feeling challenged, high truth, and I know it's because you care, high grace. So I'm pushing you. Like every movie that we love that has some guru comes in. Take it Karate Kid, for example. We love wax on, wax off, but we also love that it's because that mentor cares. He's being challenged. There's structure, and he cares for him. That's the empowered environment. That's the challenge environment. That is the place where I believe we are supposed to be in our calling, but we often kind of drift over here or over here, especially in the church world. Does that make sense? So, and I, I, we won't say this out loud, but I'm curious if you thought about where you see yourself in that. Maybe you're thinking about your own family system. And I'd be curious to know where you think your church is at on that. And then what I want to talk about here, and we'll draw it all together with these two things, is two critical mindsets of an everyday missionary. So hear this. If you are a Jesus follower, we establish that for most of us then you should be doing those Jesus things. You're on a mission for Jesus. So follow this logic line. If you're on a mission for Jesus, you are by nature a missionary. So would you look at the person next to you and just say, you're a missionary. Let them know. Yeah, you are. Yeah, this is also the pastor's way to just keep you awake. All right. Yeah, you're a missionary. And then I want to talk about these two critical mindsets of an everyday missionary. The first one is what we call a manna mindset, and that is thanking God for today's provision and not worrying about tomorrow. If you think about the manna provided to the people in the Old Testament, 
Manna couldn't, didn't last more than a day. The Sabbath was the only um, exception to that. They could collect all they want. They could load up on it. The next day it would be rotten. They literally received food, manna, that lasted one day, and the next day they were completely dependent on God to provide again. A manna mindset says, God, I thank you for what you've provided today, and tomorrow I'm going to wake up and be thankful for what you provided tomorrow. In other words, if you can say, God has provided what you need for today, then you can be at peace and trust that he'll also provide when tomorrow comes. It doesn't mean not working ahead. It doesn't mean not doing financial peace or those kind of things. It just means saying, Lord, you're the one I trust, not me. That hit me uh, very personally recently. We were buying a new house, and if you've ever been through that process, it sounds like it'd be really fun, but it's not, actually. It's not fun. And as we're doing this, we, we got an offer in our house, and I don't know if they're going to take it. I don't know if we want them to take it. Like, I'm like, God, is this the right thing to do? What do we do? And I just hit this moment of, 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 a, of great clarity, and I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but I realized, God, I don't know whether this house is right or not. I don't. I, even if I like it, I don't know if it's right, but I do know that you are sovereign and I trust you. So I know that if we're in your will, if this house works out, it's in your will and I trust you. If this house doesn't work out, it's in your will and I trust you. In other words, all of a sudden I stopped worrying about the house because I just said, God, I trust you. I have a good father who knows tomorrow. I trust him. And suddenly, peace. A man of mindset is peace. So let me just say that first. There's a whole message in that. But the second part, and I want to drill into this, is a mission mindset which is a clear sense of purpose or having a meaningful goal. This is when, and I've been dancing around this whole, me- this whole message, when you th- recognize that you're a Jesus follower and it becomes part of your identity, it changes who you are. You are a missionary who does missionary things. So um, how many of you in here would say you are runners? I'm a runner. All right, there's a few of you. All right, Awesome. I, for years of my life, if you were to ask me that question, I would be like, I am not a runner. Like, in fact, I would say I ran a mile in the eighth grade, and I would prefer not to ever run again. Anybody with me on that? Yeah. And then a friend of mine challenged me to do a tough mutter race with him. Anybody done one of those? 13 miles, through the mud, through obstacles, jumping over fire, crawling under barbed wire and then ending it by getting shocked by over by around 10,000 volts of electricity hanging through these things like and you pay to do it (laughs) do you think our country has a problem with challenge when we have to pay to be challenged for things like that anyway he challenged me to that and we had a group of guys and I'm like oh my goodness how am I going to survive this thing like I had to go from the second worst shape of my life to the best shape of my life and I had about eight months to do it You don't want to know what the worst shape of my life was. Second worst to best. And in that time, I ran, but I was not a runner. I ran for survival. I have a race. I'm going to do it, but I'm not a runner. But somewhere along the way, something changed in me. And now if you were to ask me, are you a runner? I would say yes. My identity is a runner. So I could be training for a race, and I'm not a runner, but I do run. But I am a runner today, even if I'm not always running. It's part of who I am. And if I am a runner, I run. If you are a missionary, you do missionary things. Are you catching the connection there? You can do those things and not really be a missionary, or you can be that. 
And if we are followers of Jesus, set on the mission of Jesus, then we by nature are called to do and be missionaries for him. So I'm going to ask you one more time, look at the person next to you, but instead of saying you are, just tell them I am a missionary. And just let them know, I'm a missionary. That's right. Let them know if you like nachos too. And I like nachos. Sorry, the nachos was just kind of random. And then I, I just want to bring it together this way because it, at the least I hope I've established here for us that we are missionaries of Jesus, that it should be part of our identity. We're called to that. That we shouldn't just wear the gear but, and look the part, but be the part. But the thing that we haven't talked about yet is what does it mean? What does that actually, what is our specific calling? And I think the easiest way to say it is just the words, use the words of Jesus, to love others the way we've been loved. Love your neighbor as yourself. Like we, we'll go say, hey, I'm a missionary, go reach your neighborhood. That's really intimidating to say the word reach. But if I just say, love your neighborhood, do you think maybe like, yeah, I think I could do some things that showed love to my neighborhood. So I want to just pull out one thing from Colossians and then, and then drive it home with what does it look like for us to do that specifically. Colossians chapter th- uh, 3, verse 12 says this, clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, and it continues. But I want to stop there because tenderhearted mercy and kindness together are a fascinating combination. Because in Greek, the tenderhearted kindness, compassion, literally means a turning of your gut. So we'd say in English, my heart beats for you or turns for you. But in Greek, it's literally like my insides, my guts, I feel it. Has this ever happened to you where you see somebody in need? Uh, you see, if you're a parent, you've probably seen this. If your child is ever experiencing hardship, like you're, it feels like your insides are twisted in a knot for them. Like that's the word compassion. It is a feeling felt right in the core of who you are. Now this is a fascinating combination to me because the next word, kindness, it, it, we just say in kindness, we, we, it doesn't sound like a verb, but in Greek it's a verb. So if compassion, the care part, is my insides turning, kindness is I do something about that. And this is where I feel like we get caught up a lot on the missionary lifestyle of an everyday Jesus follower. Our insides turn, but we don't either know or do the kindness action part. Like, what comes next? Uh, There's a statistic, and I have nothing to back this up. I've used it at a couple churches, but maybe you can actually give me some feedback so I know if this is actually true. But it's a great thing for a pastor to say. So I I don't know if this is true, but I'm going to say it because I think it's helpful. The statistic is that if you don't put into action something you got in a Sunday message within 72 hours that you probably won't put it into action. So we can, prob- we can agree that's most likely true, right? So I'm going to challenge you today, and I'm going to challenge you to think about doing something in the next 72 hours. If you are a missionary of Jesus, then you are on a mission with Jesus, through Jesus, for Jesus. That mission is our insides turning and our kindness responding. So let me ask you, is there someone in your life that you have felt the inside turn, like God is God, man, I feel that for them. I feel like there's something I should be doing. By the way, this might be something you, somebody you don't like, somebody maybe he's even, you would say, is an enemy of yours, but maybe you still have compassion, it's turned. 
then what specific kindness, act of love, can you do to engage them in the next 72 hours? So let me ask you, do you have somebody specific in mind? I know we don't raise hands high, but just a little. You got somebody specific in mind? Yeah. Now what in the next 72 hours can you do to show them the love of Jesus? Compassion and kindness. Um, I've been feeling this challenge myself for a while, and there's a young boy in my life. He's seven years old, six years old, sorry. Uh, he's, our, he's my neighbor. His dad passed away, and before his dad passed away, he asked me to be like a father to his son. And I probably, I might have even mentioned him bef- here before, or at least his father going through cancer. And to be honest, for the first last six months, that's, I've felt that in my gut for this son, for this child, but I've been so busy and we're running here and we're running there and I've like hardly engaged him at all. And finally I just said, wait, you know what? It's time for me to stop just feeling that and it's time to actually do something. So we just, we kind of sat down and we said, you know what? Every Monday is a Mondays with Leland. Every Monday. It doesn't matter what we're doing. If we're going someplace, he's coming with us. If we're eating dinner, he's in our house eating dinner. If we're going to a game, he's going there. Our busyness is not an excuse. We're going to commit to engaging him because God has called us part of our missionary lifestyle. It's who we are, and we cannot be so busy that we don't do it. And so every Monday's Mondays with Leland. I fly out tomorrow. Uh, my family is still Mondays with Leland because we are committed to being present, and he is a part of our family. So I just I want to challenge you one more time. In the next 72 hours, who's that person, and what does it look like for you to love them the way that Christ has loved you? sacrificially and wholeheartedly and it may not be easy in fact it might be really uncomfortable and praise God for what he does in the challenge amen yeah Jesus we thank you for you are graceful and you are good and you are holy and I pray Lord as we recognize who we are in you that you would raise up in us what it really means to be a representative of you in everything we say and do missionaries on a mission for you bringing glory to your name, and loving others the way you have loved us. I pray this, Jesus, in your name and for your glory alone. Amen.